I'm not speaking for Carla, but uh, I'm, I'm just assuming uh, that as great of a thrill as it was to play in front of the uh, state of Arkansas women's basketball for the University of Arkansas, it is a greater thrill to stand in front of your Lord and sing praises to Him. And uh, that's tremendous. Thank you so much. Glad to have you today. I hope that you've had a great Christmas. It has been an interesting Christmas around my house, and I may refer to that here in a moment. I want to be preaching from Philippians chapter 3 today. You can turn in your Bibles there. Some verses are going to pop up on the screen here in a moment uh, that will serve as our key verses for this morning as we talk about one thing I do. Rick Husband, commander of the Columbia Space Shuttle, desperately wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, that was his lifelong goal as a little boy growing up. More than anything else, he wanted to be an astronaut. But when he first interviewed with NASA in 1992, he was not hired. He and his wife moved to England for an exchange assignment with the Royal Air Force. And during that time, he really began focusing on his daily quiet times, his morning periods of personal Bible study and prayer. One particular morning, Rick came across Psalms 37, verse 4, which says, Commit your way unto the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Rick said that suddenly he felt that God was asking him, Okay, Rick, so what is it that is really the desires of your heart? What do you want more than anything else? And he said, Lord, you know what I want. I want to be an astronaut. I've always dreamed of being an astronaut, and that's what I want. But Rick said that he could almost hear the Lord responding, No, no, no. Think about it for a little while and tell me what really is the desire of your heart. Rick said, I got to thinking about it, and I thought, Well, if I ended up at the end of my life having been an astronaut, but having sacrificed my family along the way, or having lived my life in a way that did not bring glory to the Lord, then I would look back on it with great regret. And having become an astronaut would not really have mattered that much at all. I finally came to realize that what really meant the most to me was to try to live my life in such a way as to bring glory to God. To live my life in a way God wanted me to live my life, to be the very best husband to my wife Evelyn that I could be, and to be the very best father to my children that I possibly could be. And more than anything else, my desire was to pass that faith that I have in Jesus Christ onto my children, that they would make a choice to follow Jesus. And it was like a light came on all of a sudden, Rick said, where, where I finally realized that this thing about being an astronaut was not really as important as I've always thought it was. I finally came to the point where I said, Okay, Lord, I really don't care what I do. I don't care where you send me. I just want to try and do those things that please you. I want to live a life that glorifies you to be a good husband and a good father. And whatever else you send my way, Lord, that's going to be okay with me. The message today is entitled, One Thing I Do. And I think it goes to the very heart of this issue. What really is the desire of our hearts and I mean, if it was just me and you and we were sitting behind the table drinking coffee or a Coke, and I ask you that question, what is the greatest desire of your heart, what would you say? Well, if we could only do one thing in life, there is one thing we must do. And the answer to that is given in our passage today, Philippians chapter 3. What is the one thing we must do? We must know Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's it. We must know the Lord Jesus Christ and not only know Him as Savior, but we must serve Him as Lord. He must be the Lord of our lives. Look at a couple of key verses that I've picked out here in Philippians chapter 3. For instance, Paul said this in verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 13, 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Really what Paul is saying is this, in the final analysis, everything else in life depends on this. This is the most important thing. The one thing is to know Jesus Christ, to allow Him to be the Lord of our lives. And in this extended passage of Scripture from verse 1 through verse 14, Paul gives us four aspects of knowing Jesus as our Lord. What does it mean when we know Jesus as Lord? Well, point one, very simple points today. It first of all means looking up. Notice how this passage begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is one of the great themes that is found in the book of Philippians. The apostle Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He is writing to a group of believers in the city of Philippi who are being persecuted. But all the way through this letter, he kept using these words, to have joy and to rejoice. Have joy in your hearts. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Look up to heaven and rejoice. Well, you know, we can't always rejoice in our circumstances, can we? Sometimes life throws us some curveballs. Sometimes our lives fall apart. And as we look around, there's absolutely nothing to rejoice in. I don't know how your Christmas went. Uh, Angie says this is a Christmas she wants to forget. I can tell you this, it's a Christmas that just kept giving and giving and giving in the Harmon house. And it wasn't gifts that you want to keep, it was the stomach bug. It started with Zane, it spread to Angie, and then Thursday night at 11 p.m. Let me tell you, I was in no mood to rejoice, right? I went on this crash diet Thursday night, and between Thursday night and this morning, I've lost about 10 pounds. And let me tell you, it's not a good way to be spending Thanksgiving. I didn't want to rejoice. I had nothing to rejoice in. I still don't feel like rejoicing this morning. We can't always rejoice in our circumstances. But you know what? If Jesus Christ is our Lord, we can rejoice in our Lord, right? We can rejoice in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. Look up, man. Life may be tough. You, you may be having some financial distress. Your household may be in chaos. There may be strife between you and your spouse or you and your kids. Your job might be the pits. You can't always control the circumstances around you. And sometimes you can't rejoice in the trouble that you're in. But you can always rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in the Lord's presence. Mm. Nobody else was in the bathroom with me Thursday night. Nobody wanted to come in the bathroom with me. I didn't want to be in the bathroom. But you know what? The Lord was with me. The Lord has promised He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you know it. When all the world abandons you, when even your own family turns their backs on you, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We can rejoice in the Lord's promises. This book is complete with promise after promise after promise for those of us who are children of God. God loves you. And as a child, He has given you so many promises that you can claim as your own. And we can rejoice in the promises of God. We can rejoice in the Lord's providential control over our lives. Even though your life may seem like it's spinning out of control, He who made the stars and the heavens and made the earth that we're living in made you. And He holds you in the palm of His hand. And even though your world is spinning out of control, you don't have to because God has you in His hand. We can rejoice in the Lord's pardon. And provision. 
You know, this morning, it, it, you know, there's, there's always, for a lot of people, Christmas is, is, is a great time, but it's also a, a downtime. I mean, if, if you've lost family members or if you've gone through some kind of family tragedy and those family members are nowhere around you during Christmas, it can kind of be a downer, you know? Uh, it can also kind of be a downer after Christmas is over with. You've worked all this time buying gifts, wrapping gifts. You open the gifts, and it's kind of a downer. You, you, you go back home, and all, there are all those cotton-picking decorations that have to be taken down, you know? And you know if it's going to be done, you have to do it. Lights have to come off the house. Why in the world do we put them up in the first place? Huh? It's kind of a downer. And, and you know, sometimes in, in, in life, there's, there's not just a whole lot to rejoice about. But friends, if you are saved, there is always something you can rejoice in. Your sins have been forgiven. You have been pardoned. The blood of Jesus has been applied to your life, and you have become a brand new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, we can rejoice. And so the Apostle Paul begins his discussion here by reminding us to be cheerful, okay? to look up and to rejoice with a cheerful heart. It's all part of the Lordship of Jesus. If Jesus is genuinely the Lord of your life, Put a smile on your face, man. You have something to rejoice in. Then he tells us to watch out. Look up and then watch out. Look at verse 2. I read this, or I'm reading again out of the New King James. It says, beware of dogs. I like the way the NIV translates it. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those dogs. Now, this is a little shocking to us. For us to realize that the greatest missionary in Christian history was upset enough to call other people dogs. But he did. The Apostle Paul was gravely concerned about some false teachers who were trying to ruin his work by supplanting his doctrine with heresy. And if you keep reading in in verse 2, he says, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. Here the Apostle Paul is lamb-blasting a group of people that we know as Judaizers. These men who were teaching that salvation depended on faith in Jesus Christ plus something else. That faith in Jesus wasn't enough. For them it was faith plus something. Plus the Jewish rite of circumcision. Plus keeping the Sabbath plus observing Jewish dietary requirements, plus this, plus that. Paul went on to say in the next few verses that if anyone in the world could be saved by simply being a good religious person, if there was any way to be saved just by being a good Jew and by observing the Jewish law, it would have been him. And Paul is in no way being egotistical or bragging on himself. He says if anyone could be saved by living a strict and productive religious life, it would have been him. Notice what he says in verses 5 and 6, talking about himself and again not bragging. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, Concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. Basically, Paul was saying, you can't get any more religious than I was. (laughs) But none of those things advanced Paul spiritually. None of those things made him right before God. None of those things could have taken him to heaven. Even after having done his best and trying his hardest, he would still have been an imperfect human being unworthy of the perfections of heaven. It was only in Christ and in Christ alone that he could be saved and have eternal life. Look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me... These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as dung 
as the old King James says, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you and I can never be saved trying to do enough good deeds to persuade God to let us into His perfect heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things. It is only through the merits of the shed blood of Christ that we are reconciled to God and have eternal life. Or as the Bible puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, we are justified by grace through faith, not of works. So Paul says, look up. Look up and rejoice in Jesus. If He is genuinely the Lord of your life, you always have something to rejoice about. But He also says, watch out. Watch out as you walk that narrow way, man. Watch out as you embark on 2013. Because there's, there's a lot of dogs out there snapping at your heels. The devil is constantly after you. He wants to pull you down into the cesspool of sin. He wants to trip you up. So you need to watch out. If Jesus is truly Lord of your life, you're going to have to guard your life because the devil is after you. And then he goes on and says this, you need to draw near. If he's Lord of your life, you need to draw near. Look at verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I believe this is one of the deepest verses in all of the New Testament. And I will admit to you, I, I do not yet know all this verse implies. I don't, I don't fully understand this verse, but here's what I do know. At the time that Paul wrote this verse, he had been a Christian for 30 years. For over three decades, he had followed and known Jesus Christ since their rendezvous on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. Paul had grown. He had advanced in his faith day after day after day. We use a, a term in, in, in theology called progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification simply means that every day I am progressing in my relationship with Christ. It's nothing that is stagnant or dormant. Every day I am doing what is necessary to become closer to Christ. Paul wrote the book on progressive sanctification. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he grew closer to his Lord Jesus Christ. But he still wanted to know Christ better. He still wanted to have a deeper identification with Christ in Christ's death and resurrection. That was his greatest desire in life. The one thing was to know Christ and to know Him on a deeper level. It was a, it was a hunger, an unquenchable thirst in the life of the Apostle Paul. More than anything else, he wanted to grow closer to Jesus. I've been doing ministry now, I don't know, 30 years. And uh, in that time period, I've had to do a lot of uh, counseling with uh, couples. And I can't tell you the number of uh, people I've counseled uh, and a man or a woman will say to me, you know, I just don't know my husband anymore. Or I don't know my wife anymore. I know that Jason deals with our kids all the time, and I don't know how many times he's heard, I just don't know my parents anymore. You know, that doesn't mean that they haven't met this person. What they're saying is the sense of intimacy and identification with that particular person is gone. And through the years, instead of growing closer together, they have grown apart. Isn't that a tragedy? I mean, really, isn't it? And it happens in Christian homes. You know I, know, I know very well it could be happening in your own home. And what a shame. What a shame in the confines of a house that you live in to allow your personal lives to grow apart instead of growing together. But that is reality. 
And the sad reality is that can happen between you and the Lord. Do you hear me, church? That can happen between you and Jesus. But Paul said here, it's not going to happen to me. I refuse to be a statistic. I'm not going to let it happen in my life. Because Jesus means the world to me. I don't want to grow apart from Jesus. I want to grow closer to Jesus. I love the way the Amplified Bible puts this. It says, For my determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Jesus, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly. You know, if we could just take the Apostle Paul's heart out of his chest and lay it before us today, that's what it beaded with, that passion to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And I think that leads us to Paul's fourth aspect of knowing Christ as Lord. It's pressing on, pressing on. Look at verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained... Or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. What an amazing testimony. Paul describes his Christian life twice here using this term pressing on. I press on. The Greek word means to chase after or to pursue or to follow with haste. The word, it's the word the Greeks used to describe someone chasing you. To pursue, to chase after. Jesus used this word in another way to describe how his followers would be pursued from town to town by those who wanted to persecute them. That the world is going to be pursuing us as Christians to do harm to us. In Revelation chapter 12, the same word is used to describe the way Satan, the devil, chased the newborn Christ child in an effort to destroy him. That red dragon wanted to destroy baby Jesus. He pursued Christ. But now Paul is using this word to describe the intensity with which we should pursue our relationship with Christ Jesus. He is saying here, we've got to be determined. We've got to press on. Even though the world offers a whole lot of detours, and there's a lot of side roads that you can turn down, traveling down that straight and narrow, you've got to be determined to stay on course, to stay focused. This is not the sermon I was going to preach today. First of the week, I'd started another sermon, and uh, then I got sick, and it got put on the the back burner, and and I came up to the church last night, uh, half half in, half out, and I said, God, I'm in a mess. I'm in a pickle. What in the world am I going to preach, you know? And uh, honestly, last night, I felt like calling in sick today. (laughs) I'm kind of glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't, because I'd rather be here than any place else. But God just kind of, I don't know, he just, he just laid this on my heart, and, 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 he, and he gave me this sermon to preach to you today. Um, and in the midst of it all, in the midst of, 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 of agonizing myself over this, there, 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 is, there is that sense in which I understand, and, and, and I, I, can't, I can't describe it to you. I mean, I don't, have the, I don't have the vocabulary or the words to say what needs to be said today. If you want Jesus as the Lord of your life, dude, you've got to do it, man. You've got to press on. You've got to want it more than anything else. Nobody else can do it for you. And nobody else can give it to you. If you're a kid, your parents can encourage you. They can push you. 
As an adult, your church can, can push you. As a pastor, I can coach you and say, come on, you got to want this. you got to go for it. But in the last analysis, you've got to want it. You've got to be determined. And as great as this church is, this church can't do it for you. We can come alongside of you and help you. But you've got to be determined to do it yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? We got, listen, guys, we've got to grow up. Let, let's put this baby Christianity behind us. Let's get off the milk of the Word and let's get into the meat of the Word. I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't say. And, and if you get mad, I'm just going to blame it on the fact that I'm sick and I don't know what I'm saying, okay? But if you miss church a week or maybe two weeks and then get all ticked off because nobody called you and checked on you to find out where you were, shame on you. Now I want you to know I love you and I care about you. And more than anything else, I want you to grow up in Jesus. But there comes a point in your Christian life where you just need to grow up. Be a big boy, be a big girl and do what you know you need to do. Let me tell you, coming to church is part of doing what you need to do. Being a witness for Jesus is just part of what you need to be doing. Living your life as, as an example to others is just part of what you need to be doing. We need to grow up. And we need to quit babying each other and prod each other to be the believers that God has called us to be. To be mature Christian adults. And if I've offended you, can't help it. Can't help it. I'm going to love you too much to baby you. Now, I care about you and I love you. But you've got to want this. I can't want it for you. Nobody else can. You've got to want it. For Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And you can't give up. You've got to press on. There may, there may be something in your life right now, some kind of weakness or some kind of temptation, and, and you've been tempted to give up. Don't give up. Be determined. Press on. God is going to give you victory. This past year, you know, Gail talked about those New Year's resolutions. Usually we start with them, and again, we forget them. Maybe one of your New Year's resolutions this year is every day you're going to have a quiet time with God, but you haven't fared so well. You've missed half the days this year. Well, my lens, don't give up. Be determined. Press on. God's going to help you. Maybe you've tried over and over to trust God about those worries and those cares and those anxieties and you're ready to throw in the towel. Don't do it. Be determined. Sooner or later, God will give you the victory if you keep your nose to the grind and you keep on going. Don't give up. I mean, the Bible says in Romans 12, 11, never give up. Eagerly follow the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, we never give up. Our bodies are gradually dying, but we ourselves are being made stronger every day. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, always pray and do not give up. <laughs> don't give up. Years ago, I read the remarkable account of when Captain Eddie Rickenbacker and his men were ditched at sea and they had to survive many days on a lifeboat until they were rescued. I've told you his story before in a different sermon, but he wrote a book about the miraculous uh, uh, miracle of survival and being rescued. And, and in that book, Rickenbacker said this. He said, My mother was a very poor woman in Columbus, Ohio, but she loved her kids and she taught her kids how to pray, how to read their Bible, how to follow Jesus Christ, and never, never, never give up. 
Man, I like that. Just don't give up. Our responsibility is to look up, to watch out, to draw near, and to press on. Putting Jesus first. Listen to me. Putting Jesus first and everything else way down the list. Do you get that? Jesus has to be number one. And usually we go one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> you can't, he's got to be one and then way down the list, number two. Paul said, what is more, I consider everything a loss. Listen, I consider everything else in life a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as my Lord. You get what he's saying? Nothing else can compare to knowing Jesus. He said, I don't care what else this world has to offer you. Everything else is just a synthetic cheap substitute. There's nothing like knowing Jesus. So, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is Lord? What does that mean, that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, I, <laughs> I don't know of any gentle way to put it, and I'm already in trouble with some of you, so here I go. I'm just going to cut the limb off that I'm out on. Because there's no gentle way to put this. The nature of lordship, and that's what I'm talking about, lordship. We don't talk a whole lot about lordship anymore. You hear me talk about it every once in a while. I grew up hearing a whole lot of preaching on the lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to get back to more of that. The nature of lordship is domination. Christ wants to dominate your life. That's what it's about. He wants to dominate our thinking, dominate our affections, dominate our schedules, dominate our attitudes. He demands it. And before you get an attitude, let me say, it's not an aggressive hostility that Jesus has towards us. He wants to dominate us in loving wisdom. You see, Jesus knows us because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And Jesus knows how we're made. Jesus knows what we need. Jesus knows that God made us with this I don't know, it's a, it's a, a missing key, it's, a, it's a, a bottomless, it's a, it's a hole in our heart. And we all have this hole, this, this voidness, this emptiness, we're born with it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We got it there. And, and what, what humans do is they try to find something that is going to fill up that emptiness, that void. Something that brings them some kind of peace or happiness or joy. Because the world surely doesn't give it to us. And so what we do through life is just keep shoveling the stuff of the world into that hole. But it's a bottomless pit that you can't be filled up with that kind of stuff. Jesus knows that the key to the hole in our heart is a personal relationship with Him. He is the answer. And you say, but Brother Will, I'm a Christian. You know, I've invited Jesus in my heart, but I don't have that peace that passes all understanding. I'm, I'm still wrapped up in this world and all the problems. Again, you know, I'm blaming it on the stomach virus. <laughs> but could it be that we're, we've just been playing games with Jesus? Could it be that we're kind of straddling the fence? We, we want the good things of the religious life, but we still want to call the shots in our life. We want to be the dominant one. We, we want, we want, we, I, I want to, I'm going to do it this way. This is my way. I'm going to make this a deal. Jesus says, no. You can't, you can't be happy that way. You can't have that peace that passes all understanding. If you want that, you've got to turn everything over to me. You've got to take your hands off your own steering wheel and put the steering wheel of your life in the hands of Jesus. Lordship means he dominates. Lordship means you're not in control anymore. Jesus is in control of your life. So, I guess my question to you this morning is, 
Is Christ everything to you? Is there anything or anyone that comes before the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord? You know? Maybe there's another person. Maybe there's a boyfriend or a girlfriend that right now is more important to you than Jesus. Can't work that way. There's one person, one person, just one person that I love more than anybody else on planet Earth. And that's my little Angie Sue. I love my wife. But I do not worship my wife. Can't work that way. I love my kids. And boy, I've got some good kids. If you want to know about them, I'll tell you about them. But I have to love Jesus more. You know, the sad reality is there's a lot of... We've got all this messed up in our homes. We love our kids. We worship our grandchildren. And they have become number one in our lives. And because of that, we have dysfunctional families. God is very clear about this. He must be first. He must be first. And then spouse and then kids and grandkids... I don't know, maybe for you today, it's a, it's a job, it's a career. Making money has become the most important thing in your life. Maybe it's a, it's a goal of retirement and having X amount of bucks in the bank before you, before you retire. Maybe, maybe it's a hobby that, you, that you're so wrapped up in or a sports that, that nothing else matters. Even your relationship with Jesus has become second because this other thing has become number one. If, if that is how your life has become, friend, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're going down the wrong road. And you're headed for a big crash. Is Christ everything to you? Or can you say this morning, one thing I do, one thing, forgetting what is behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus. Friend, let me ask you, are you determined to live for Christ Whatever may come, whatever may happen in your life, whatever it means, whatever the future holds, is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you bound and determined today that you're going to look up, that you're going to watch out, that you're going to draw near and you're going to press on (laughs) no matter what? Brothers, Paul said, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Nothing else matters except knowing Him. Except knowing Him. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and, uh, and you've never met Jesus You can meet Him today. You can have Him become Savior and Lord of your life. All you have to do is come and invite Him into your heart. Understand what it's going to cost up front. Everything. (laughs) But the reward is much greater. A peace that passes all understanding and heaven as your home. And then if you're here this morning and and you're a Christian, you've been saved, I, I, I would ask you to consider... Doing what this same Apostle Paul said to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed in this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Really, what Paul is saying is this. What you need to do is come and lay your living body on an altar of sacrifice, And say, Jesus, you have all of me. You say, preacher, you know, I've I've been saved. You know, I've done that. Yeah. But Jason, I can go back in my life and I can count up probably five or six times 
that I came to, to, I call them continental divides in my spiritual life. Where I was on this particular level and, you know, I was, I was, I'd been doing okay, but I had kind of become stagnant or God wanted to move me on to another place in my walk with Him. And these are, these are distinct moments that I had. I, the, the, one of the first ones I can remember, my parents took me to a, to a drive-in movie. I think it was The Cross and the Switchblade. <laughs> that shows you how old I am, man. And I don't know, God, God got a hold of my heart. And when we left that theater that night, I was in the back seat bawling like a baby. I don't know how old I was, seven, eight, nine years old. And I can remember my parents turning around and saying, William? What's wrong? And I couldn't even tell them. But God was doing something in my life. God was moving me from one level to another level. I was surrendering another part of who I was to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's happened many times in my life. Maybe the Lord's trying to do that in your life today. He wants to move you a little closer to himself. He wants you to surrender something else of yourself to him so that he can dominate your life and make you into what God wants you to be. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer that we would listen with attentive ears to the Holy Spirit today. I know that you're with us. I know that you've spoken to us. I know that you're in this place. And I know that more than anything else, you want to be Lord of our lives. If there's a person here today that needs to be saved, may they come today and receive that free grace and salvation. And for all the Christians who are here today, Lord, as you speak to their heart, may they just... Uh, take it to another level in their commitment to you. May we end 2012 and start 2013 with a new determination to be the Christian you've called us to be. And Lord, whatever business we need to take care of at the altar, help us to come and pray. It's in Jesus' name I ask this. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is speaking to your heart, would you come to the altar and pray? Don't hesitate. Step out now, please. If Jesus is speaking to you, Great.
Jesus, I, uh, I know who this message was for today. And Lord, I give you all of me. I pray that you dominate my life. Because, Lord, more than anything else, I want to know you and to make you known. I pray that I would be the husband that you've called me to be, the dad that you want me to be, all my imperfections, I pray that I would be the best pastor to this church that I can be. And how I desire this prayer for my friends who are here today, I cannot pray it for them. But I pray that they have the same desire. Be the Lord of our lives in Jesus. Would you be the Lord of this church? For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for being here today and for listening. I'm going to ask our ushers if they would make ready for today's offering. If you're a member of Kavanaugh, please give your tithe to support the ministry of this church. If you're a guest, would you please fill out one of those guest cards and uh, take it to our Welcome Center. We do have a gift for you. Uh, we're going to take up the offering. Then I have just a couple of announcements, and uh, we will leave. Let's pray first and ask God to bless the giving. Brother Jason Nichols, would you pray for us?
big hand, would you? Thank you guys so much. Uh, Bible study uh, starts back tonight. We missed it last Sunday night because of the Christmas holidays, but we're meeting tonight for Bible study 6 p.m. Uh, come and join a class. Also, the prime timers are going to have a big party, uh, New Year's Eve party starting tomorrow night, I think, at 8 o'clock, and they will, they will party. They'll rock on through midnight. These prime timers will. So uh, uh, come and join them if you'd like to. Be in prayer for Don Yarbrough. Uh, Don attends our first service, longtime member of our church. Uh, Don has been in, in bad health for some time. Uh, he had some heart issues over the holidays, and uh, he is at mercy right now. So do pray for Don and Alice. Uh, we have other individuals who have been sick and in the hospital. Robert and Frida Allman also attend our first service. Many of you know them. They went to Tulsa this weekend. Their granddaughter, Amber, uh, gave birth to a baby boy that's about a month premature. And uh, baby and Amber are both doing well, uh, but they're going to keep both of them in the hospital. Frida and, Alma, Frida and Robert ask that you pray for them. Uh, Amber and the grandson, okay? Man, I hope you have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you hurry, you will beat harvest time. Don't worry. All right? God bless you. You're dismissed.